Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Grab your Bible, grab something to take notes on if you feel so led, however you want to lean into the Word of God today. Go ahead and go to 2 Samuel because that's where we're going to be one last time. And all of God's people said, thank you, Jesus. We opened up this year with a series that has not been the most fun to preach. I can imagine hasn't been the easiest one to hear, but I don't know about you, but God has been teaching me a lot over the last couple months. Somebody learning something in this series, come on, say amen, somebody. Yeah, and it ain't, maybe it's something I've said or maybe it's something that God has used from what I said. But as we moved into this year, I found a quote by Charles Spurgeon. And it is one that just struck me because it's so true. Guys, put that quote from Charles Spurgeon on the screen. It says, beware of no man more than of yourself. Because here's the reality. We carry our own worst enemies within us. That the reality is, as much as we try to in our culture make an enemy out of everyone because we're offended by everything, and that's a whole nother sermon. We are our own worst enemies. That our greatest foe is our own flesh. And it doesn't have to be that way. Because the sin that keeps ruining and wrecking our lives, Jesus came not just to forgive us of it, but to free us from it. Did you hear that? Jesus came not to just forgive us of it, but to free us from it. And when we live in his power and walk in his spirit, we can overcome. Followers of Jesus are overcomers. There is nothing that in him and with him that you can't overcome. And we've been leaning in to a couple people that we find in the Old Testament. And I know the Old Testament is not a place that we spend nearly enough time. But all of God's word, it's all God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and helping us to grow in our faith. Come on, somebody. That these stories that God has given us, these people in the Old Testament, if you ever read the Bible and think, God didn't have to put that in there. All this little detail. And the reason why he did is because he knows what he's doing. And everything in his word is something that we can lean into and grow from. And we have these people, these two guys, that their stories are deeply intertwined. The first king of the nation of Israel and the second. Saul and David. And we've already learned that Saul was the poster child for self-destruction. He could not win within to save his life. At every turn, he continued to step more towards disobedience than obedience. Not because he had to, not because he was confused, not because God wasn't clear about what he wanted from him, but because he was just weak. And along that story, we watch David kind of be the antithesis of Saul. Where Saul, for much of the story, seemed to be the poster child of self-destruction, David seemed to be the poster child of self-control. 
He had multiple moments where he could have given in to the desires of his own flesh. He could have taken David's, uh, Saul's life in that cave that day, but he didn't. David constantly was winning within until he didn't. And over the last couple weeks that we've extended this series, we've been looking into David's epic failure. Where he finds himself in the snares of sin as deep as anybody in all of scripture. Because one night he found himself on a rooftop walking around. He sees a naked lady and he doesn't do what he needs to do and go away. He brings her in, he sleeps with her and he gets her pregnant. And then last week we leaned into what his post-sin pattern was. It's not unlike most of ours. See, what we do on the other, uh, the other side of sin says a lot about who we are, amen? What we do on the other side of sin says a lot about who we are. And on the other side of sin, you got two choices, confession or concealment. And most often we choose concealment because we don't want people to know our mess. And the church has become a place where we just foster this culture of concealment because we haven't made it a place that's safe for confession. Because confession means you just end up on that prayer chain, a.k.a. the gossip hotline. And when we left off in the story, David was still living in concealment. And he's doing everything to cover up his sin. He's already had this woman's husband killed on the front lines. He gave very specific instructions so that he ended up dead. And then now he's doing what appears to be this noble thing to everybody in his country. He's taking her widow, Bathsheba, his mistress, into his home. And David continues into this pattern. And then... 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And this was what would turn the whole thing around. Until this point, David had shown no signs, really even no signs of guilt, no signs of remorse, no signs of repentance, no signs of even a willingness to confess And then this guy named Nathan shows up on the scene. And if you move on into the story a little bit, he tells him a story. He basically says, David, I want to tell you a story about this rich man that takes advantage of this poor man. They both had some livestock, and then this traveler comes, and and the rich man, instead of giving what belonged to him, stole from the man who had less than he did and gave what belonged to him to another And then if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 5, it says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. David hears this story and he's furious at the fact that somebody would do something so evil. He says he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then verse seven, then Nathan said to David, it's you, bro. It's you. You're that man. You're the one who has done the evil thing in the eyes of God. Really, the... You're angry at yourself. Your worst enemy is within. Says, David, you're 
You're the one that's done this thing. This story I told you was just an analogy that parallels your very actions. And Samuel says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I appointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says out of your household. I'm going to bring calamity on you before your very eyes. I will take your wives and give them to one close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. Well, you did in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Nathan comes right at it. He says, God knows what you did. I know what you did. And here are going to be the consequences for your decision. David, you had watched Saul continue to be disobedient. And you knew that his disobedience had consequences. Did you think yours wouldn't? Because God don't play. Then, verse 13, finally, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. It took all of that to get us here. And you know what I wonder? Where would David have been had Nathan not had the courage to confront him? We think about David, and remember, we remember there's this man after God's own heart, this young shepherd boy who, who becomes the slayer of the giants, who steps into this kingly position and, and has this amazing life in so many ways and writes all these beautiful psalms that you and I read and they minister to our spirit and he did this super crazy evil thing and you know what it took to spark and inspire confession in his life a confrontation from another and you know what I've discovered more often than not Without the correction from other people, we continue to live in concealment instead of confession. That may be the reason why there is not an abundance of victory in our lives is because there is an absence of accountability. There is an absence of accountability. And had there remained an absence of accountability, in the life of David, he may never have confessed. He may have never had repented from those actions. And he had met, may have never found a way forward in his life. And what I found in our culture as well, there continues to be an absence of accountability. We don't like it. Or maybe... Better yet, we, we don't understand it. But had Nathan never had the courage 
to step toward the king. Or perhaps if David had never given Nathan permission to offer such correction into his life, his story would have been very different. Nathan's taking a risk. David's already proved he'll kill you. David's already proven that in order to cover up his sin, he's willing to kill. You with me? Say amen. So when Nathan steps up to him knowing what he's knowing, Nathan's got to know, king might not like this. I don't know how he's going to respond. He killed Uriah. He might just kill me in order to cover up his secret. And if he would have given into that culture of, see, sometimes we don't offer correction too because we don't know how people are going to react. So between our cover-up and our concealment, between this culture that we have that doesn't give people permission for correction and the fear that we have in offering correction, no wonder most of us in this room right now are walking around failing to find victory in our sin. Proverbs 15, 32. It says, those who disregard discipline despise themselves but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Now, if we're gonna win within, if we're gonna start really stepping towards victory over sin in our lives, we're gonna have to be willing to offer and receive sincere correction. You with me? Nobody likes that. Y'all ain't saying amen because you're like, mm 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 I don't want it and I don't want to give it. Because it's true. We don't want correction and we don't want to offer it because we've created this culture in the church that says all correction feels like condemnation. But let me say to you, correction is not condemnation. But that's what we've made it. We have made all attempts at correction, even in the church, condemnation. Because we get emotional. And in emotion, all accountability feels like judgment. And we've gotten to this thing of even where, like, we can't correct people because if we correct people, you don't say, don't you judge me. The moment somebody starts to speak into our lives, the moment somebody wants to step in to our lives because they've made an observation that maybe, just maybe, there's something there that God's word says shouldn't be, we receive it automatically as judgment. Y'all know I'm right, come on. Our first gut reaction, hey, um, I saw you and I heard you or I saw you post this thing, but don't you judge me. And this is what we go. Well, you're not perfect. Look at me. If perfection is the prerequisite for correction, none of us will ever be able to give it. If, if, if perfection is the prerequisite for correction. 
then none of us will ever be able to give it or receive it. And you're just gonna have to accept that God has chosen to use imperfect people to be his vessel, often for correction in our lives. And if we're not willing at some point to embrace that, but see, we wanna, th- we wanna throw these verses at people. You, you remember what Jesus said? Matthew 7, verse one, do not judge. And then we just really wanna stop there. We don't wanna dive deeper into the parable that Jesus is about to tell us because it, it causes us to wrestle with things that we don't like. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck of your brother's eye. Wait, did you see that? He says more than often we won't, to realize in this story. It says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then ignore the speck in your brother's eye. That's not what it says, but that's how we interpret it so often, is it not? Come on. I'm gonna read verse five again. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to help remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. And can I just remind you also, Jesus said this in John chapter seven, verse 24, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Wait, Jesus just said to judge correctly. And see, what's happened is We've so misunderstood what Jesus was trying to articulate to us. And we've so gotten to this space of we don't know how to sincerely offer correction that we've just stopped doing it. And accountability is disappearing from the body of Christ. And it's a no wonder that we're not seeing victory because accountability is a necessity if victory is gonna be achieved. We're talking about correction, not condemnation. You don't have any right to step into somebody and say, you're just going straight. But when we see evidence of things that we don't know, that we do know, does not align with scripture in the life of our brother or sister in Christ. Correction is a needed and necessary thing. And the way that we do it matters and the way we step into that space matters. But if we're gonna win within, we have to give people permission to speak correction into our lives and none of us are above it. None of us are above it. Now scripture is very clear that the main thing that Jesus is saying here, Jesus does not want us to have superficial or hypocritical judgment. He wants us to have sincere correction in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Did you hear that, did you hear me? He's making it very clear, like before you go and start pointing out those things in other people's lives, you need to check yourself. You need to be honest about who you are and what's going on in your life. You can't step at them offering correction like you're on a position of perfection because that's not gonna go well and you're not there anyway. There's times we have to go and say, you know why I see this in you? Look at me, because I see it in me. 
Because the very things that are easy to recognize in others are the very things that are present in you. Because <laughs> you know what? You remember that saying, takes one to know one? You know, you know how I see that in your life? Because I've done it too. And maybe we need to hold each other accountable. I see you losing. I know I'm losing. Why don't we win together? Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment and do the same things. And now let me just say, I'm talking about offering correction within the body of Christ. Stop expecting people who don't know Jesus to act like people who do. Calling out the sin in the lives of people who don't claim to be trying to follow Jesus? Why are we doing that? Again, you've heard me say, you don't get mad at a duck for quacking. But in the body of believers, for those of us who have made a profession of faith, those of us who have publicly acknowledged Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord, Within the family of God, we have to create a culture that allows people permission to speak correction into our lives. And if we don't, we're going to keep falling into the same old patterns, the same old sins that have plagued us our whole lives. Paul makes this clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. Paul's saying, you know what? I don't expect to hold people who don't know Jesus to a standard, the same standard of those who do. That when we publicly profess our faith in Jesus and we connect to the body of Christ, it's supposed to be a place where we can come in and offer and receive sincere and authentic correction. And the reason why this has been weeded out of the church is because we've done it so poorly for generations. And there's some of us that we've said we're offering correction, but we know that one of the main difference between correction and condemnation is the motive of your heart. And nobody knows that and can see that but you. If you get excited about offering correction, when I've had to go to a brother and sister and offer something in their lives, that's never fun. When they've had to come and do it to me, it's really not fun. So many reasons why things are falling apart is because we don't have a space where this can happen. And we offer correction. So often sincere, instead of receiving it, we run. I'll just go to another church. Where concealment can continue to happen. I just think about David's story. Had he not given Nathan the permission to offer him correction, 
what happens next could have been very, very different. We could be reading how David killed Nathan as well and continued to cover up his sin, and who knows how bad it would have snowballed for David. And now David's life is about to get really, really hard because one of the things that we're constantly reminded when we read this story is confession does not eliminate consequences. Repentance does not remove earthly consequences. It restores our relationship with God, but it does not remove earthly consequences. And the discipline, as it talks about in Hebrews, that David has to endure over the next little bit. You see this, look, Hebrews 12. It says, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good in order that we might share in his holiness. And no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And on the other side of David's confession, he has to endure some consequences and he has to start stepping towards repentance because can I just remind you too that God wants more than us to just acknowledge our sin. He wants us to repent of it and go a new direction. None of us likes it when, you know, that happens, but that's just how it has to be. God wants more than just, I'm sorry. He wants us to repent. Go a new direction and the power of spirit move in us. And David's life from this point forward is gonna be again different than he thought it would be. But David does recover and has some fruitful days. As we read through his Psalms, I didn't put it in the notes today, but go and read Psalm 51 where David pours out his heart before God and confesses his sin and takes ownership of it and moves into restoration and redemption with God. This whole series, we've been talking about slaying that internal enemy, overcoming those things that have plagued us our entire lives, to step outside the traps of temptation and start seeing victory in our lives. And you know what, this year, my hope has been that, you know, it's gonna be more than just a goal of, of fitness and health, but that we would set goals spiritually for ourselves to start overcoming those things that are continuing to wreak havoc in our lives. And the whole point of this series from start to finish has been helping us to understand that Jesus has made it possible for us to rise above it, to live and step forward in the victory of his spirit, and this final piece is so important because one of my biggest fears is over the last year, we may have convinced ourselves that we don't need each other. That we don't need to be in the presence of other believers. And now I understand with the pandemic and there's still things that we need to, to do and everybody has to make their own decisions about their safety but you need a circle of people around you that have permission to look into your life 
and that you have permission from you to look into theirs so that you can actually have the accountability that's needed and the space for correction to overcome. Because I believe very deeply in my spirit that this whole win within thing cannot happen in isolation. That this part, this piece right here, you know why I think this? If you look at David and Saul, the biggest difference in David and Saul is Nathan. Do you remember how Saul treated Samuel? He never really let Samuel in to the point where Samuel said, I'm done. And there's a place in, in 1 Samuel where Samuel says to Saul, or says, I'm not going back to Saul anymore. He won't listen. He won't let me in. The correction that I'm offering, he continues to reject. Had Saul treated Samuel the way David accepts Nathan, how different could his story have been? And if you and I, as scary as it is, will have the courage to give people permission to speak correction into our lives, I think, I'll just be honest, I think without that, we don't have a chance. I think everything that I see in Scripture says that community, accountability, those authentic spiritual relationships where we have really hard conversations. And we try our best to create spaces like that for you, but we can't force it. That's why we do life groups. We don't do life groups just because you need something else to do on a weeknight. We don't do community groups just because we need to have more people in the building. We do it in the hopes that somehow one of these spaces that we create will help you build a relationship that does give permission to other people to speak that correction into your life so that when you stand in those moments, you can start to have victory, so that you can actually have the support system, the care and accountability that you need to win. And we're doing everything that we can I know there's, in the pandemic, there's still some people for a lot of reasons, you're not ready to physically be in a space with another, with another person. That's why we're doing even virtual life groups so that you have that space where even though physically you're not able to be or you're not ready to be around other people right now, you have a place where you can have those conversations. And if you don't have that, and maybe some of you say, you know what, Matt, the reason I'm not coming to the community groups or the life groups is because I already have that built in my life. That's awesome. We're not trying to strip you and pull you away from that. But if you don't, you need it. Who's your Nathan? Who's your Nathan? Who's that one that's gonna push you to move beyond concealment, steps towards confession, move you towards repentance so that you can move forward in your life? Because there is a way forward. There is a way forward. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad it is. David is a great reminder that no matter how great the failure, there is a way forward. No matter how great the failure, there is always a way forward. But that way forward ain't all by yourself. That way forward is not a solo mission. That way and that place toward victory will not be, cannot be achieved if you keep trying to do this by yourself, if you keep being stubborn and stop people at the door saying, you stay there, I'll stay here. I'm okay with coming in here on a Sunday 
where nobody can really see me, especially now because we all social distance and stuff. I can slip in and I can sit. I can raise my hands in worship. I can wonder why Matt's yelling again. And then I can get out of here. And nobody will ever ask me what I'm doing with what I heard. That's not how you win within. That's not how you achieve victory. It's not the way God set it up. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That victory is waiting for you, believer. Victory is promised to you. If you'll do what you need to do, Jesus didn't die just to forgive us of our sin. He died and defeated death so that he could give us victory over that sin. And if you're not winning within, it's not because you don't have the opportunity to. It's not because God is too small. It may be because we're too stubborn and we're not doing the things and leaning into the things that we need to in order to rise toward victory. Last verse, and then we're done. Because it comes from my favorite chapter in all the scripture. Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to all these things? In response to everything that we've heard over the last eight weeks, in response to the purity of the gospel of Jesus, what shall we say? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Not even ourselves. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine? Or nakedness or danger or sword? See, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We consider as sheep to be slaughtered. But verse 37, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. let's do it let's do what we need to do let's take these principles that we've learned over the last however many weeks and let's let them sink deep into our spirit let's start kicking the devil in the face and saying you're not going to have me anymore I'm, I'm, I know your schemes I know your ways I know what you can do but I know what my God can do I know who you are and I know who he is. So I have a better understanding of who I am now. So whatever you put in my way, that's okay. I can overcome it because it's already been overcome. He's already defeated death. He's already had victory over sin. He's already shown us the way. It's time to just do it. You stand with me. Father, I pray that today is the day that when we walk out of this room, we walk out with a sense of victory like we never have had before. 
that more than ever, we realize that, God, we are equipped with the things necessary to win over the enemy that is within us. And that, God, you would put that seal on us through the power of your spirit and that we would thrive in the days ahead. That no matter what life throws at us, no matter what kind of trap the enemy sets before us, we will not fall victim to it because we don't have to. You have overcome. You are bigger than anything that we might face, God. You have done what's necessary to give us the tools and the spirit and the power to step forward in victory. And so, God, I pray that you would just move in us today. God, as we worship you before we get out of this building, may we not be in a hurry. May we soak up all that we can of your spirit, God, and just empowered by who you are in us. And God, help us just arise victorious, knowing, knowing that we can win, that we don't have to be defeated. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.